Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and nothing is going to stop him. Certainly not on the Jericho Road, the rough road to Jerusalem that was so notorious that Jesus just needed to name it in the Good Samaritan story and everyone understood why a victim would be attacked by robbers there and why a priest and Levite wouldn't want to stop and help them. A multitude joins Jesus on this rough road. And then, as Jesus is nearly to Jericho, a crazed voice calls out incessantly to him and won't shut up. In the city, a little man hangs out of a tall tree, staring at him. And suddenly, Jesus isn't so unstoppable after all. I'm Tom Hoops, and this is The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, entered the confusing maze that is our world to show us who we are and to give us his cross as a ladder up and out. This is his story and ours, the extraordinary story. Today we cover two stories once again. We meet Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, two men who were shameless in their love for Jesus, and that made all the difference. We'll start with Bartimaeus from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his mantle, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him on the way. Well, that's Mark's version of a story that's also told in Luke with a couple of differences. But this comes at a key moment. Jesus is headed on the last leg of his journey to Jerusalem, where he knows he is going to die. He's on the Jericho Road, which I mentioned is the same road that the victim in the Good Samaritan story was on when he was attacked by robbers. And Jesus is the Good Samaritan on that road, meeting two people. First, he meets Bartimaeus at the edge of the city, on his way into Jericho in Luke, and on his way out of Jericho in Mark. Then he meets Zacchaeus in town. He has a huge group of people walking with him, a great multitude, in fact, and you can picture this joyous atmosphere. Imagine you and a friend noticed a celebrity and kind of tentatively walked behind them. And the celebrity became aware of it, and then others did, and pretty soon the celebrity didn't care and you were all walking together in one joyous group headed in the same direction. Well, that's kind of what is happening here. Since Jesus is near Jerusalem in the days leading up to Passover, there would have been a huge number of pilgrims on the road and beggars on the roadside looking for help. And then some random blind guy starts yelling from the side of the road. St. Mark has an exalted way of naming the random beggar who cries out to Jesus from the crowd. Mark tells us that the blind man is Bartimaeus. That's Bar Timaeus, like Simon Bar Jonas. He's the son of Timaeus. He is no ordinary beggar, says St. Augustine. 
The gospel writers don't give names for those who are cured, but Mark shares the name of this one, probably because he was a person of some importance from a formidable household, but brought low by his condition. And probably also because he was a well-known disciple by the time that the gospel was written. Significantly, this beggar, this son of Timaeus, recognizes Jesus as a Messiah, the son of David. He knows this is who Jesus is simply on the evidence of what he has heard about him. And he cries to the Savior for mercy. Many try to convince him not to call on Christ. They rebuke him and they tell him to be silent, which is awkward if you think about it. Jesus has literally told them the story of the Good Samaritan and explicitly told them that they should stop and help people on the road, on this very road, when people cry out or need help. But Bartimaeus doesn't pay attention to them. He just keeps shouting. Bartimaeus has something that we'll see in Zacchaeus also. He has shamelessness. We've all seen the scene in romantic comedies when one or the other of the cute leading pair realizes finally what the audience long ago saw coming. They are meant for each other. At that point, the lover throws caution to the wind. He shouts his love in an embarrassingly public way. She dances for joy in the rain, hardly noticing that she's getting wet. Suddenly, all the reserve that held them back from each other is gone. Or maybe it's a more dramatic scene, like Dustin Hoffman pounding on the doors of the church and the graduate shouting, Elaine, Elaine. Or Tom Cruise bursting into the divorce support group meeting to share his love for Renee Zellweger, who tells him, you had me at hello. Or Darcy losing all his pride to Elizabeth, saying, in vain I have struggled, it will not do. He loves her. Well, Bartimaeus is like that. He shows what it means to be shamelessly in love with God, but also what our reaction to people like that normally is. Bartimaeus keeps calling out, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. But many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. We can picture the scene. The great religious figure is passing by, so his followers want to enforce a little decorum on the streets. There are many lessons to take from Bartimaeus. One is that we should not do what they did. We shouldn't impede people from calling out to Jesus. But, very often, we do. Sometimes it's direct. I remember one story about a prominent Irish entertainer who, as a young man, had come home from a retreat on fire for the faith, and wanting to be a priest. His family reacted with embarrassment. Hey, we all went through a phase like that. Don't be crazy. Let it pass, they said. So he never tested his call. And God forgive us, there are probably times when we did the same thing. Somebody was excited about the faith, we tried to calm them down because it was a little bit awkward, a little bit embarrassing. Often, though, we are less direct than that. We may notice a coworker, relative, or neighbor feeling a loss, feeling empty and in pain. They may even confide in us, and we may decide not to tell them about Jesus or the faith. We don't want to seem like a fanatic, or maybe we think religion is too private to mention. Or maybe we don't think Jesus is up to the task. Their heart is crying out for the one thing that can restore them, and we keep them away from Jesus. But despite his lousy spokespersons, Jesus always answers those who shamelessly call on him. Imagine being Bartimaeus and not the disciples in the story. What would we do if Jesus was passing by and his handlers were hushing us up? Would we be polite and quiet? Or would we make a scene as we demand to see our Savior? What if our pastor was denying us the sacraments or denying Eucharistic adoration? What would we do then? 
Well, what we would do depends on our faith. Bartimaeus had tried life without Jesus. He hated it. Without Jesus, he was just a blind beggar on the street. When he had a chance to change that, he made a scene. Have we reached that point? Are we shameless? Or are we still holding on to our own world, even as the creator of our world passes by? Well, quieting Bartimaeus didn't work. He kept calling out all the more, Son of David, have pity on me. He looked needy and pathetic as he embarrassed himself. But as it turns out, Jesus has nothing against needy, pathetic people who embarrass themselves. That's practically a prerequisite. Jesus says, call him, or bring him to me. He tells others to bring Bartimaeus to him. He does the same to us. Years ago, he told others to bring us to him, or to bring our family to him before we were born. And thank God someone did. Someone invited us to the faith, to mass, to a retreat, to a talk, shared a book, or simply told us what they had found in Jesus. He tells us to bring yet more people to him today. He doesn't want us to play the game of deciding whether they are worthy or not. Have they fallen too low? Are they fine where they are? Will it embarrass them? Will it embarrass me? Will their friends think they're lame? He just wants us to do what the apostles do. Tell people, take heart, rise. He is calling you. It's a great sign that Bartimaeus sprang up while throwing off his mantle. Bartimaeus doesn't hesitate to take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And when he does come, what Jesus asks Bartimaeus should be enormously consoling to each of us as well. When Bartimaeus comes before him without his cloak, eager to join him, Jesus asks, What do you want me to do for you? Last week when James and John approached him, he asked the same thing. What do you wish for me to do for you? It's interesting that he should ask that. Isn't it obvious that the blind man wants sight? Isn't it clear that what the son of Timaeus wants more than anything is to be cured of the blindness that has brought him so low? Maybe, but the man has not said that he wants sight. He has just asked for mercy. Jesus wants him to say it. It's the same in our life today. We often don't know what we really want. We are unhappy. We feel shackled by sin, by addiction, isolated by a lack of love. We want to be free and fulfilled, understood and accepted. But we don't want to ask for that out loud because we're afraid we won't ever get it. We think we might just be doomed to live a truncated life, begging for what consolations we can get, offering up our humiliation, and we think Jesus won't really be able to change that. Or maybe he doesn't even want to. He can give us mercy, maybe, so we ask for that. But healing? Maybe not. Jesus also puts Bartimaeus on the spot. Does he really have faith? And does he really want to be healed? Or is it somehow easier to him to have an excuse to do nothing but sit and beg all day? We have to want our own cure. Jesus won't give himself to us against our wishes. This is why we are so often not cured of addictions, emotional wounds, or being trapped in bad relationships, because we don't want to be cured. We don't want the responsibility. We don't want to lose what we love. So we aren't cured. On the other hand, Bartimaeus wants to be free, and he really is willing to accept the responsibility that comes with being able to see. So he asks for it, and he gets it. The prayer was sincere, and he immediately became a follower of Jesus. He's gone from being the pathetic, damaged son of Timaeus, crying out into the darkness as the world passes him by, 
to being a son of the Father with a direction and a purpose, bathed in light, with Christ straight before him in his sights. Every one of us is a Bartimaeus. We were born with high hopes, but blinded by original sin. We were born mortally wounded, spiritually and psychologically, and this even had physical manifestations in our lives. We can't see. We can't see past our own concupiscence, which trains our eyes to see only opportunities for money, pleasure, and power. We can't see the beauty, truth, and goodness all around us because we are only interested in things we can grasp and control, not things that grasp us and control us. We can't see that we are more than our biological reality and the product of our own circumstances. We can't see that we are more than failed sons of Timaeus. We are future sons of God. Would we be shameless for Jesus? The question is not theoretical. He is passing by right now. Jesus is present in his church, in his sacraments, in his priesthood. And, in fact, the Catechism says, the sacrament of holy orders communicates a sacred power, which is none other than that of Christ. Through grace, the priest is an altar Christus, another Christ. So we literally have other Christs in front of us now. And to shamelessly come to Christ for us means to go to confession, speak to him without fear telling him all our shame. When we do that, Jesus will ask us what he asked Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? We should answer forthrightly like he did. Master, I want to see. I want to know your presence. I want to see sin for what it is. I want to see you so clearly that I can share you without fear to those who need you. I want the abundant life you promised. He will answer that prayer just as he did in the gospel. Go your way. Your faith has saved you. Which brings us to the next story we want to look at. Zacchaeus the tax collector in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw him and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have ever cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, Luke gives a lot of information here very compactly. The Gospel begins, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Jesus is on a mission, and those who he meets on the way are not his ending point. In Luke's Gospel, This mission is summed up as his long, single-minded journey to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. That means his ultimate mission is the transformation of all humanity, not just the transformation of one random guy, be he beggar or wealthy man. Nonetheless, Jesus tells us a man in Jericho named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was too short to see over the crowd, so he climbed a sycamore tree to get a better view. 
Zacchaeus literally goes out on a limb for Jesus in an action rich with meaning. For a chief official to climb a tree is an act of humility. At the same time, it's an act of trying to raise himself higher. And that's what we're supposed to do when Jesus passes by in our life, but let's stay with Zacchaeus for now. Jesus stops and looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus does exactly what he is told. In Luke, this story comes shortly after the story of the rich young man who refused to leave his possessions for Jesus. Like that story, this is a rare case of Jesus inviting someone to come with him. When the people of Capernaum wanted him to stay with them, he said, no. The Gerasene demoniac begged to join him on his journey, and Jesus said, your mission is to go home. And just like in Jericho, Jesus was passing by the Canaanite woman and the woman with the hemorrhage and had to be stopped in his tracks. And of course, a teacher of the law said to him, I will follow you everywhere, and got the answer, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Even after his resurrection, those who grasped at Jesus found that he slipped through their fingers. But when Jesus does accept an invitation to stay with us in the Gospels, the story is very much like Zacchaeus's, but with a twist. The disciples on the road to Emmaus beg him to stay, and Jesus does, as we will see, but only in the Eucharist. Anyway, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus as an uninvited guest, and only after Jesus invites himself over does Zacchaeus agree to welcome him on Jesus' terms. The rich young man rejected Jesus' offer to sell everything and follow, but not Zacchaeus. Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it over four times, he says. So Zacchaeus does what that other rich man could not or wouldn't do. He gives everything away for Jesus. Half goes to the poor, the rest goes to fulfill to the letter the Old Testament law of restitution, which commands thieves to pay back four times what they owe to cover not just their theft, but to cover the losses that followed on the theft. But when Jesus comes to us, it is often as an uninvited guest. We have to accept him on his terms, not our own. So let's look a little bit deeper at the story, shall we? Let's go over three ways Zacchaeus is unique, three ways we are like him, and three things his story reveals to us about Jesus. Because when we first hear about him, we think of him as a sinner who we feel a little bit superior to. But by the end, I think it's pretty clear that he is our spiritual better. So consider the following unique virtues of Zacchaeus. First of all, he lacked fear of human respect. Fear of human respect is the fear of what others will think of us. And it's a major obstacle to sanctity. Think of how often we avoid Jesus because we don't want to look foolish. We decide we aren't the type who goes the extra mile for their faith, so we do little. We don't think we are articulate enough to bring him up with others, so we stay quiet. We don't want to appear like a crazy Catholic, so we keep our faith to ourselves. Zacchaeus is not like this. There are many reasons he should feel like he isn't good enough for the company of Jesus, and many reasons the chief tax collector shouldn't climb a tree to seek a preacher passing by, inviting ridicule not just for his action, but for his size and his profession. But he ignores all of that and pushes forward because he lacks fear of human respect. Secondly, he was obedient right away. Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly for today I must stay at your house. And down Zacchaeus came. 
We might think we would do the same in his shoes, but there are plenty of times when we have shown that no, we really would not. When we ignore an impulse to pray or to go to confession or to go to mass, direct requests from God, or when we avoid someone who needs us because it will take too much time. So Zacchaeus has right away obedience, but third, he doesn't cut corners even when everyone else does. This is an impressive trait of Zacchaeus when he says, if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. He is departing in a major way from his profession. Tax collectors at the time were practically expected to take a little bit off the top. To be able to say what he said showed that his integrity was greater than his desire for money. The excuse everyone does it was not part of his moral vocabulary. So those are three ways that Zacchaeus was unique. How about three ways that we're all kind of in Zacchaeus's position? First of all, we're all short of stature, according to the Bible. Quote, Before the Lord, the whole universe is as a grain from a balance or a drop of morning dew come down upon the earth, says the Book of Wisdom. None of us should feel tall when we are surrounded by a universe the size of a dewdrop. We should be looking for a tree to climb to try to get closer to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus takes great pride in us just like he did in Zacchaeus. That same book of the Bible has a very clear God does not create trash statement. It says, Lord, you love all things that there are and loathe nothing that you have made. For what you hated, you would not have fashioned. End quote. Zacchaeus may have thought that Jesus would treat him with the contempt everyone else does, but God doesn't treat anyone that way because he made us. And the third way we are all like Zacchaeus is that Jesus calls us to repentance in every aspect of our lives, just like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus says in the gospel, may I be prosecuted to the full extent of the law if I have ever done anything wrong. Well, what we happen to know is that we will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law if we don't repent. And so we might as well admit to it now like Zacchaeus did and pay back what we owe. But enough about Zacchaeus and us, let's talk about Jesus. Because I think the story shares three things about Jesus that are true in our lives as well. First, it shows that Jesus is willing to change his plans. The gospel began by saying, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. So he wasn't looking for a special encounter with Zacchaeus. He was hurrying from point A to point C, and Zacchaeus was at point B. But then that changed. We often consider Jesus as determined to do what he's going to do and expect that we don't necessarily figure into his plans. He has some great plan of his own, we figure, and we don't want to interfere. Zacchaeus shows that if we take the time to encounter Jesus, his plan changes to include us. Second, Jesus invites himself into our lives. Seeing Zacchaeus in the tree, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. If we think that we need to create the perfect conditions for Jesus and invite him in when we are good and ready, we should think again. Jesus comes when we least expect it, when our house is a mess, when we weren't really looking for company. He comes not on our terms, but on his, even when it causes controversy, even when it causes difficulty. In the gospel, when they all saw this, they began to grumble, saying, he has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. In our lives, people might talk in the same way, thinking we're not the religious type. The Lord says, let them talk and let me in. 
The third thing the Zacchaeus story tells us about Jesus is that Jesus finds underdogs irresistible. Zacchaeus is like the live action version of the parables that Jesus told about prayer, about the widow, and about the publican. If you look at each of those stories, the heroes are all underdogs, just like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is small but resourceful like the widow and the unjust judge, and he's both a prayerful tax collector and an important person like the two characters in those parables. Anyway, I wanted to end by comparing these two figures, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, to our own times, because that's what Pope Benedict and Pope John Paul II did. Pope Benedict wrote about Bartimaeus, quote, he was not blind from birth, but he lost his sight. He represents man who has lost the light and knows it, but has not lost hope. Bartimaeus represents man aware of his pain and crying out to the Lord, confident of being healed. But Benedict adds, Bartimaeus could represent those who live in regions that were evangelized long ago, where the light of faith has grown dim and people have drifted away from God, no longer considering him relevant for their lives. These people have therefore lost a precious treasure. They have fallen from a lofty dignity, not financially or in terms of earthly power, but in a Christian sense. Their lives have lost a secure and sound direction, and they have become, often unconsciously, beggars for the meaning of existence. Pope Benedict says, these are people in need of a new evangelization, which is the urgent need to proclaim Christ anew in places where the light of faith has been weakened, in places where the fire of God is more like a smoldering cinder, crying out to be stirred up so they can become a living flame that gives light and heat to the whole house. End quote. So according to Benedict, Bartimaeus is a stand-in for those of us who live in a once Christian nation that have strayed from Christ. Well, St. John Paul II writes about Zacchaeus and says he represents modern man in a different mode. Quote, This story, as we know, presents the meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus as if it happened by chance. Jesus enters Jericho and moves through the city accompanied by the crowd. In climbing the sycamore tree, Zacchaeus seems prompted by curiosity alone. At times, God's meetings with man do appear to be merely fortuitous, but nothing that God does happens by chance. If there had not been at a certain point the surprise of Christ looking up at him, perhaps he would have remained a silent spectator of the Lord, moving through the streets of Jericho. Jesus would have passed by, not into his life. Zacchaeus had no idea that the curiosity which had prompted him to do such an unusual thing was already the fruit of a mercy which had preceded him, attracted him, and was able to change him in the depths of his heart. So modern man, according to John Paul II, is this merely curious person, this rich man who looks on and then looks again and then looks deeper and gets caught by Jesus. And all of this makes me want to remember a time when I was in the place of Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus in my own life. I think I'm very typical of my generation and of recent generations too. Christians are often afraid of contemporary people because we think they have rejected religion. But I didn't reject religion. I was never told what religion truly was. Too many disciples thought I wasn't ready for it or that it would be embarrassing or something. And Gen Z is even more neglected. I keep reading articles by even secular people who worry about Gen Z's lack of faith. We imagine they are all militant atheists who consider religion something ugly and discriminatory that should be abolished. But mostly, they're not like that. 
The fact is, they aren't religious because they haven't been offered religion. Surveys say that if you are in Gen Z, you most likely were never brought to religious services or Sunday school. Your parents didn't pray with you or talk about religion. Gen Z is not into religion for the same reason they're not into box kites, macrame, or Flemish dancing. No one exposed them to any of those things. If anything, research suggests Gen Z want to hear more about Jesus. Well, that's kind of where I was. I've told various aspects of my conversion story, but I don't think I've told about Geary Avenue. As I said before, I had refused to be confirmed in high school. I'd stopped going to Mass and considered the Catholic faith one among other undesirable 70s eccentricities of church ladies in Tucson, Arizona. I had as much interest in the faith as I had in macrame. But then, through a bizarre set of circumstances, I transferred into a great books program in San Francisco for college. I tried to fit in as best I could with the hardcore Catholics I was surprised to find there. But in September of that year, my first year with these folks, 1987, the Pope was visiting San Francisco, and a group of students were going to go down to Geary Avenue to watch him drive by. Weird, I thought, but whatever, I was trying to fit in, so I went along. There's no good place to stand, it was just crowded with people, so I climbed a small slender tree to get a better view and to add some element of interest to this pointless thing we were doing. And then I saw the Pope pass by, and I was overwhelmed with a feeling of peace. It's hard to describe. Maybe you've heard people try to describe this. It caught me totally by surprise. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it now. How watching a small man behind a bulletproof glass in a moving vehicle could touch me so profoundly, I still have a hard time understanding. I mean, I literally don't get it. What is it, a grace wave or something? Whatever it was, I remember sitting in the tree after he passed, just numb. He had blessed the crowd, and it had totally worked. And it can work again. I was only up there because I was curious, just like Zacchaeus. I was there by the side of the road, but I was blinded to what was going on, just like Bartimaeus. And all of us are ultimately standing by the road as Jesus passes by. Some of us saw him as a child, felt his presence, knew him personally, but have grown blind to him. Well, he's passing by us right now, again. Some of us were like the rich young man, or Zacchaeus. We had everything we needed. We tried to keep our nose clean as best we could, but we never did much with religion because what was the point? Now, if we're curious enough to go out of our way to get a look at him, we will find that he's not just passing by. He's looking at us, loving us, and wants to invite himself over, whether we're ready for him or not. And if we agree, he will transform our lives into something that will look ordinary and average and uninteresting still, but will secretly and powerfully be part of his extraordinary story. The Extraordinary Story is written by Tom Hoops and produced by Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Benedictine College is transforming culture in America through our mission of community, faith, and scholarship. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave a review and share with a friend. Help us tell others about The Extraordinary Story.